Veterans Path, helping veterans find peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor through practical tools like meditation and mindfulness, physical and outdoor experiences, and a community of camaraderie. I'm John McCaskill, a Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness teacher. Here on the Veterans Path podcast, I interview veterans, athletes, corporate leaders, and many others who found peace through the practices of meditation and mindfulness, breaking down the stigma of pursuing mental health and making it a priority, improving and saving lives. All right, my guest today is Jory Hersher. Jory and his wife, Stephanie, live in Texas with their four children. He was a police officer and a law enforcement attorney who transitioned to become a trauma recovery coach. Jory is an international speaker, a mental health and first aid instructor, a PTSD recovery and suicide prevention advocate, and a soon-to-be author. Lastly, he is the executive director for The Unbroken Project, a nonprofit working to help veterans and first responders find healing and recovery from emotional trauma. We're going to learn a lot more about Jory, his time as a police officer, struggles he's had and obstacles he's overcome, and finally, all about the Unbroken Project. And that's all here on the Veterans Path Podcast. Welcome to the show, Jory. Doing great, man. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, I can't can't believe it's 2020, man. Uh, (laughs) I remember when I was little thinking about how old I was going to be in the year 2000. And now here we are (laughs) 20 years past that. So uh, I'm not sure what happened to all the time, but here we are. So how have you been, man? I've been really good, you know, just working on the Unbroken Project and working on my consulting business kept me busy, but spending time with the family over this last bit has been a great break for me. So good. Good for you, man. That's, that's outstanding. So what'd you guys get up to for the holidays? You know, we stayed right here in Texas. We had some family uh, come down to see us and uh, just kind of had a lazy, low-key. You know, I, I always cook for the holidays, so spent my time preparing and cooking meals, but I love doing it. So to me, that, oh, was, that was a great vacation. Oh, heck yeah, definitely. So before we really get into our interview questions, I'm starting every show by letting our listeners know what we do at Veterans Path and then why we're doing this show in particular So Veterans Path, we introduce veterans to meditation and mindfulness. Typically, we try to do it in outdoor settings so that they can rediscover peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. And that's where the word path in our name comes from, peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. And the point of this podcast is to make people more aware of what we do to increase support and attendance at our retreats while simultaneously reducing the stigma around seeking mental health support. Listeners can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. So with that all said, we'll go ahead and jump into our questions. For our audience, uh, as you were on the line, I started the show with the brief bio to include your family makeup and you guys living in Texas. What else would you like the audience to know about Jory Hersher before we get into the real meat of the show? (laughs) Um, I am a, you know, I've always, I've always liked to help people and that's kind of my career has always been, you know, around helping people. And it's been a realization that as I help other people, I don't help myself, you know, they've really got me into what I'm doing today. So, but on a less serious note, I rescue pits. I'm a pit bull guy. 
Um, didn't ever think that I was going to be a dog guy, but I've now had multiple and I've got my pack is three pit strong right now. So nice. that's who I am and what I do. That's awesome. I, I used to have a uh, pit bull boxer mix and he was the sweetest dog. Nice. And he, uh, yeah, he was, he lived till uh, about 15 and a half years old and he was just, uh, just the happiest dog and, uh, like just loved our kid. Uh, I mean, just a, just a sweetheart. Uh, I think pits get a bad rap. Uh, if they're, if they're brought up wrong, they act wrong, but if they brought, if they're brought up right, they act right. So that's right. You know, people say, you know, pits are a, an aggressive breed and I always say, no, you know, pits get adopted by an aggressive breed and it just transfers. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So where'd you grow up, Jory? I actually grew up in the foothills of the mountains, north of Salt Lake city in Salt Lake city, Utah. Oh yeah. Uh, I lived out there for a yeah. while. Um, so yeah. And powder mountain, I did some skiing out there about yep. a year and a half ago, or I guess it was just, just around a year ago. And we also got up into park city, uh, beautiful, beautiful part of the country. And so what, uh, what took you from there to Texas? Uh, law school, actually, I, I moved to Houston to go to law school about 10 years ago and, uh, just kind of fell in love with the area and, and the people and the culture and, made this home so your law school and your being an attorney that come after your being a police officer yeah so I, I started in law enforcement in uh, 2006 I was actually a Salt Lake City police officer um, in by about 2009 I knew something was wrong but I attributed you know quote what was wrong I attributed to the job and to you know the stresses of the occupation I was in, I was in an un, again I was an undercover narcotics detective, and it, while it was a lot of fun, I, I really enjoyed doing it. I also saw the negative effect it was having on my marriage and my family. And so I went to law school as kind of a, you know, I always wanted a higher education. I knew I wanted at least a master's degree. And so I figured, you know, going to law school would, it would help solve the family crisis. It would help continue my education. And I, I loved the law. So I just felt like a, a good transition. Got it. So how long were you actually with the the law enforcement? I, the first time I was in law enforcement, it was just a little over four years. Um, went, went to Texas, became an attorney, practiced for uh, five years as a government attorney, defending law enforcement and, and the county government. And then I went back to law enforcement for about two years um, in the executive ranks of a small police department and um, left that back in uh, July of this year to work on the foundation and my um, trauma recovery and suicide prevention program full time. Got it. All right. So I think just in the couple minutes we've been speaking, the audience can tell we're going to get real deep real quick in this conversation. But before we get any deeper, uh, I just want to stop and take a quick uh, pause to put a plug in for our sponsors who help to support Veterans Path. Welcome back. We're continuing my conversation with Jory Hersher, former police officer turned trauma recovery coach. Jory, uh, we were starting to get into your law enforcement career and, and how that kind of converted into your being an attorney there in, in Texas. And I know from former conversations, uh, we've talked about some of the tough parts of being a law enforcement officer. Can you tell us uh, you mentioned briefly at the beginning of the conversation what some of those were, but can you tell us what the toughest part of being a police officer was? Yeah, sure. I mean, so at the time, 
for me, it was just the stresses of the job, you know, that it's a demanding job. You work weird hours. Um, it's, it's hard on families. And all that is true. But what I've come to realize you know, later on in my life is that police officers are, are seen by the public and by themselves as people who need to go into a situation and be able to shut the emotional, you know, reaction off. Um, we need to go into a, you know, a shooting of a young child or, um, you know, the, the death of a parent or, or whatever it might be. And we need to be stoic and we need to be um, professional. We need to investigate. And we think that we are these, you know, that we're somehow different than the rest of society, that we're able to, we're able to take that and we're able to handle it, you know, and we almost see it as a, as a calling to be able to stand and, and endure that so that the rest of the citizens don't have to. And that's not true. <laughs> it's, we, we've taught ourselves to shut that off. And in my, in my culture, my department, we actually called that um, going into warrior mode. And it was a pride thing. You know, I had pride that I could go into a death scene and go into warrior mode and be okay. But really what we're doing is we're shoving down the emotions and we're blocking them off. And, and it, it causes other symptoms to occur that are attributed to being a police officer, but not attributed to shutting off emotions and stuff like, um, you know, stomach problems with acid reflux, with muscle problems, muscle spasms, um, you know, literally itchy skin, headaches, migraines, uh, nightmares. I mean, I can just go on and on. The lists are huge, but we attribute, attribute those to symptoms of being a police officer, not really understanding where they come from. So that's, in a nutshell, that's the biggest problem I see with law enforcement is what it does to us mentally, and we pretend that we should just be able to deal with it without any outside help. And that's that's exactly right. I mean, we are that's we're pretending. Um, and, and I mean, right. I've never been a law enforcement officer, but being a veteran, uh, it sounds like there's a lot of similarities between what it is you guys do and what we do in that warrior mode and pretending that we're not affected by things we see, things we do, emotions we feel kind of under under the the um, the surface. Um, and and as a law enforcement officer, you mentioned protecting others. You know, your your mission is to serve and protect, and you're trying to protect others from seeing or experiencing some of the things that you have seen and experienced, and right. and then how that affects you not only because you've seen it not only because you've experienced it, but because you you have to almost hide it. And that almost, in a way, makes it tougher. And you, ta you started talking about what physiologically happens to someone when they are exposed to that emotional trauma. Um, what, what else do you see physiologically happening to somebody when they are exposed to, to that trauma or when they try to suppress those feelings that... that uh, experiencing those sensations. Sure. So when, what I have learned over the years is that whenever we get into a, a situation where the fight or flight system kicks in, right, we're all pretty much aware of this fight or flight. Well, we actually now know it's fight, flight or freeze, Right. but for law enforcement, for veterans, for, you know, EMS workers, emergency medical services, we, we go into this, fight mode because that's what we're trained to do and 
whenever we feel like we may be, you know, in danger, we might be threatened by something, we get to that level of fight or flight unknowingly. And I, I kind of compare it to, you know, a, a person that is a, an alcoholic, right? When they wake up in the morning, you know, they may start the day off with a shot or with, you know, three or four beers or whatever it might be. They're an alcoholic. And so their status quo is slightly inebriated. Well, just like that, for those who, of us who have PTSD, our status quo is on high alert from fight or flight. And what's going on is our adrenaline and um, cortisol is pumping through our, our body as a safety mechanism. But when our body feels that constantly for a sustained period of time, what ends up happening is our body puts in another mechanism to keep us safe it doesn't care if we're happy healthy wealthy it doesn't care it just cares that we're alive and so it starts to shut down other portions of our brain and other portions of our body and it literally shuts down our our ability to you know learn cognitively so we have a hard time remembering things we have a hard time remembering tasks and and, um, just small details and it's not that we're ignoring them or being uncaring which is what a spouse would typically say because mine did. Um, It's just that it's that chemically we can't remember. So I I talked about stomach aches, um, migraines, um, forgetfulness, um, nightmares. I mean, there's a lot of the symptoms are, are are pretty long and and widespread. I I had a, a a tick in my right eye, right? Just would kind of a little spasm. And it felt to me like I was broadcasting it to the world, but most people couldn't see it, but I had it for over a decade. And it wasn't until I found a way to address, you know, those symptoms. We, we actually have more control over our mind than we believe. And, and I know you'll go into that with the mindfulness side, but it was actually meditation and mindfulness that got that tick to go away, not medication. Really? So, but, so okay, I, I want to back up based on some of the things you mentioned there. Um, yeah, you're, you're, you're talking about a lot of the same things that, that I talk about with, um, some of my friends, family that I try to introduce to mindfulness and meditation. You talk about the fight, flight or freeze, you know, the, the amygdala hijacking, um, being hypervigilant, uh, a lot of this, like right. I said, a lot of the same things we've talked about in the past on, on past conversations that we've had. So let me kind of back up. So you're a police officer, you become an attorney because of the stresses of the job of being a police officer, stresses on you personally, stresses on your family. You become an attorney. How do you know what it is you're telling me about now, This, this uh, the physiological changes that happen to somebody based in trauma? How do you know all this? What's your what's your background and how did you get into this, this side of things? Right, so I, when um, I left, I left Salt Lake, moved to Houston, and within about three months I had two friends eat their pistols um, in very, very dramatic ways. And it put me into a deep depression, which a lot of people around me didn't understand because they were work friends, right? They weren't guys that I hung out with on the weekends, but they were guys that I was close to because of my work relationship with them. And it put me into this real funk, but I started running again. I got into better shape. I got real fat as a detective, (laughs) thanks to all the free food and surveillance, but, um, I, I got back in shape and I, I felt better in, uh, I graduated law school, became, you know, a government attorney defending law enforcement and advising and training. 
And in 2016, we had Hurricane Harvey blow through. Um, and so it made it made a, a South Texas August very cold compared to what it should have been. And I was driving home from work one day and just had this, I call it my business decision, where I just decided that world minus me equals better. And it was just a, yeah, I think that's right. So, you know, need to put into a, a plan into effect. And at that point, I saw an 18-wheeler turn and start coming towards me and down the road about a mile. And I thought, well, there you go. I've investigated enough of these, you know, accidents. I know when and where to hit that thing. And so I decided that I was going to, you know, fall asleep, air quotes, and yeah. cross the median and it would be over. Um, right before it happened, it dawned on me that, well, I, I don't know if it dawned on me, but I, I was panicked that it wasn't going to work, that this was too easy, that it was going to be real to suicide and that my wife wouldn't get any insurance money. So again, it was a business decision. I'll just do it later. And I pulled back in. And then I literally said out loud, I'll just do it later. And my prefrontal cortex heard that and went, what? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, I, uh, I don't mean to laugh, but because we're obviously talking about a very serious uh, uh, situation that you're confronting there. But it seems like, like you mentioned, you were tackling it like very uh, pragmatically, like thinking through it like a business person, uh, thinking through the, the pros and cons. And then and then you realize, you know what, there's a lot more to it than just this business decision that you called it. There's there's life to it. So, yeah, sorry. to exactly. interrupt. So we're so now you you realize that your prefrontal cortex is kind of kicking in and you're starting to think, think more. So what what happened next? Yeah. So and, and, I, and I could go on for a while on this, too. But just real quickly, I, I say there was no emotion to it, but I also have to point out. In my experience, there's two kinds of suicide. There is the business decision, no emotion, do it. And then there's the highly emotional, um, you know, tears, crying, not sure. And But the ironic thing is that the decision to commit suicide um, as a business decision is actually an emotional decision. It, sure. It's not emotional as in tears and whatnot, but it's our emotions that are deciding it. So um, anyway, so it, it's a, my cognitive, you know, reasoning is gone and I don't think about my family. I don't think of consequences. I'm just thinking with the woe is me and my life is terrible. Sure. And so what happened is I ended up not going to sleep that night, panicked that I would do something stupid or maybe that I wouldn't wake up, um, got into a psychiatrist, um, got medicated, which was a I, I hate to even say even today, but it was a huge blessing. It was it just absolutely changed my life. Um, I know there's some horror stories with medication, but uh, I didn't experience that. It was it was just nothing. All I can explain is a fog was lifted from my head, and and mm. I could start to to heal. But to fast forward a little bit, about a year after that, after counseling and and therapy and everything else, um, I had suicidal ideations again, and I just said this is this is ridiculous. I can't be. In fact, I said out loud to myself in my hotel room in Florida, we live in the United States of America. There is no reason why we shouldn't be able to find a way to keep good people from taking their lives. And, right. Um, now, so are you still on medication at this, at this time? I am. I'm, I started off on three medications. Okay. And I'm now down to a reduced dose of one. 
but but at, at the time that you're having these uh, these suicidal ideations, where were you? You were still on three medications. Still on three. Okay. The, the highest prescription dose they could give me. Yeah. And you know I've learned a lot since then. But basically, to answer your question, now that was a long lead up. But basically, to answer your question is what happened was I, I kind of gave up on on everything. I, I gave up on God. I gave up on medicine. I gave up on everything that I knew in my life before I gave up on and decided that I was going to start new. And to me, starting new meant going to Eastern medicine and to, you know, meditation and, and to, I, I just figured these guys that have been preaching this stuff for thousands of years have been finding peace. So why can't it work for me? And, and that's how I stumbled into it. And well, after meditation, I, I had my little experiment with meditation and just saw some amazing results. And so I dug in even further and I ended up learning about uh, Dr. Vanderkalk, who was kind of the father of PTSD psychology. And that's how I started to learn about all the physiological you know, things going on and, and the fact that I, I had CPTSD, not PTSD, and mm -hmm. dissociative disorder and that sort of thing. So it, it's self-thought is the short answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. That's why we're on the show, right, is to actually talk through all this. So. You mentioned your experiment in meditation. What did uh, what did that experiment in meditation look like? So I, I had tried um, guided meditation before and didn't like it at all. I just I felt like it was I felt like a phony basically. And so I started to read a little bit into it, and I I discovered this. Um, I forget what it was even called, but it was just like a solo meditation, right? You don't need music. You don't need um, any sort of guided meditation, you just, you focus on breathing and whenever your brain tries to jump to a new topic, you push it out and go back to your breathing. Vipassana. And is that it? Is what's that? that? The, uh, was it called Vipassana? That's the mindfulness uh, yeah, meditation. That, that, that actually, yep. That actually sounds right. Yeah. Um, but all it really did for me at the very, very first, and I've changed how I've done it, but what it did for me at first is it gave me a, a moment of peace. And what I, what I also learned is that when, I'm, when you're concentrating on your breathing, you start to breathe purposefully. Right. And when you slow your breath, it changes your psychology. It, it actually, and Dr. Vanderkolk talks about this, how you can either change your psychology from the bottom up, so body to mind, or from the top down, mind to body. And the best result is when you do both. Got it. And so that's that's kind of what I learned and how I approached it. Nice. So now that you're a trauma recovery coach, what what recovery methodologies or modalities are you teaching, and what what do you recommend? So I the first thing the first lesson I always teach people is I I actually have a worksheet that um, by the way if you want it it's it's a free download I can send it to you I can put it on your your yeah. podcast or on my, yeah, please on my send Facebook, me the link. but yeah, it's called the life choices worksheet worksheet life choices worksheet. And what it does is it puts in perspective. There's every decision we make in life, whether it's what to eat for breakfast or who to marry, we go through the same five step process, whether we are aware of it or not. And so what I do is I teach this five step process and I, I, the reason I'm teaching it is because it, it provides, again, mindfulness. It lets people understand that they actually have more control over their lives than they previously believed. We're led to believe that we're kind of tumbling around in this universe that just decides our path. And that's our perspective. 
and that's okay, but it's not true. And so if we can change our perspective and, and kind of change the way that we look at how our decisions impact our life and how our life circumstances were impacted by our, our previous decisions, it gives us a power that is almost magical, right? It just gives us a clarity of mind, gives us an ability to take control over something that we felt was out of our control for so long. So that's, that's the first step. And then from there, I teach um, a trauma healing cycle. Our, our brain heals in a specific way, whether we know it or not. Again, this is just the way that our brain heals. And um, the, really roughly the trauma cycle is that we, we remember or we admit to the traumatic event occurring. Then we admit to the thoughts and the emotions that we had in, during the event and in the days, weeks, months following the event. Because that's usually the, the most traumatic part of it is our thoughts and emotions that happen after the event. Um, unless you have a prolonged trauma, which is another story. But right. um, And then at the bottom, we have um, you have to empathize with yourself for the thoughts and the feelings that you had, which one of the symptoms of PTSD is an inability to empathize, whether it's with yourself or with other people. Mm-hmm. And so I teach how to regain empathy. And then the last step is changing the story, changing the narrative. You know, there's a lot of positive and negative that comes from every situation. And we naturally, as men and women, tend to grasp onto the negatives and forget that there was ever a positive. And so it's a training, it's a perspective again. You know, sometimes I joke that all I do is change perspectives, but it's <laughs> well, a, a perspective thing. on, yeah, it's a, it changes the perspective on what happened in that trauma. And you get to define it. You know, some people will say, you're lying to yourself. No, it's, no, you're not. You are, you are choosing to believe a certain way about a certain event. One of them is healthy and helps you. One of them is negative and hurts you. So if that's lying, okay, I lie to myself. But that's how I was able to to overcome the multiple traumas I've had in my life um, through that process. So that's the next step that I take. Nice. And I I know um, I'm going to back up a little. So I, I was actually recently a guest on Jory's podcast, and he has a podcast called The Unbroken Syndicate. And on there, we discussed self-empathy as well. And, and uh, you know, we kind of threw that term out there. And I didn't realize it was actually part of uh, what it is you're teaching. That's uh, that's very interesting. And I think it's very important that people realize that, yeah, sure, we can empathize with those around us. But when we take a step back and empathize with ourselves, actually realize why it is we're thinking what it is we're thinking, understand that there there's... There's value in those emotions. There's uh, reason behind those emotions. We can actually start to kind of come back to that different perspective that you were just talking about, kind of resetting our mind, resetting our viewpoint. So, um, so I mentioned the the Unbroken Syndicate podcast, and I know that you're also the the executive director of your own nonprofit, the the Unbroken Project. Uh, can you tell right. the audience about that? Yeah, so when, when I was first diagnosed with PTSD, um, when I was talking with one of the very first counselors I ever met with, at the time, the counselor had told me that PTSD is not something that you entirely heal from, but it's something that you can manage and deal with and live a normal life. And at the time, all I heard was, you can't heal from this. <laughs> so I said back to her, so what you're telling me is I'm not here 
to be healed. You're basically just having me come to get unbroken. And she said, yeah. And so this unbroken kind of became my theme. I didn't realize there was a, a book and a movie about it at the time, yeah. but, um, right. And it's a, it's good stuff. And, and I don't mean to, to jump on that bandwagon, but that was, that was my, you know, my meaning behind the unbroken project. And, I don't think they trademarked the name. So I think you're, you're free to use it, brother. <laughs> you think, you think I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the the point was, as I I had had two friends commit suicide from the law enforcement world, and I had attempted suicide, and I had suicidal ideations again, and and I started to research, you know, police suicide. This all started off as just police, and I started to see how many police officers were committing suicide every day, and I started to do more research and finding out that the media wasn't talking about it. You know, this was. 2014, 15, 16. So this is before the whole world knew about the law enforcement suicide epidemic. But so my my goal was to prevent police suicides. And as I started to present these programs, it wasn't police officers coming to my classes. It was veterans and it was firefighters and it was EMS guys. And I realized at that point the need, you know, I've always had a lot of love and respect for for uh, veterans, I, I attempted to become a veteran, and because of um, different family circumstances, and because of my latest one was the PTSD diagnosis, I wasn't ever able to to join the military. And so it was an easy one to go, yeah, come on in. And, and not only that, but so many cops are are former veterans as well, or they're right. veterans themselves as well. So that's how I got into it. And and the whole goal of the Unbroken Project is to educate and to provide support and information to what I, who I call the warrior spirits. It doesn't have to be law enforcement. It doesn't have to be veterans, but any of us who, who strive to help other people and forget about ourselves, give them a path to helping themselves and, and help them realize that going to see a psychiatrist isn't weakness. It's not, you're not crazy. You're not sick. It's just that you have a, an illness that needs to be treated by a professional and there's a way to do it and still be a warrior. You don't lose your identity because you go get help. So that's right. the mission behind the unbroken project. Nice. And, and I mean, going back to the whole serve and protect and the, the warrior mode that you mentioned earlier, where, you know, it was almost deemed as, as weakness if you're seeking mental health support, mental health, uh, help, um, if, if you can't take care of yourself, how are you supposed to take care of others? If you're a police uh, police officer right. out there on the beat and you're not taking care of yourself mentally, you are going to have physical, um, there's going to be physical effects in what it is you're doing. So you may not be paying as close attention to where you need to be. You may physically be down um, and you are not going to be as effective as a police officer out there because you are not mentally on top of your game. So if you're able to take care of yourself mentally, you're actually, uh, you help yourself first. It's kind of like um, in, the, in, the, in the aircraft when, you know, when you first board an air, airplane and they're going through the whole safety spiel and they say, you know, if there's a loss of oxygen, put your oxygen mask on first. Well, that's what right. we have to do as, as uh, first responders, as military, as really, as really anyone, 
we need to take care of ourselves right. first. We need to put our own oxygen mask on first, and then we can take care of those around us, those who we love, those who we care for, those who we work for, those who we are serving and protecting. So uh, I, I love I love that you're doing this now, brother. Um, I want to also go back to the law enforcement suicide. This is uh, something, I'll, I'll be honest, I am not that familiar with the law, uh, law enforcement suicide rate. Um, do you do you know how that compares to the general population? Yeah, so um, as far as a, a percentage goes, I don't know what the, the percentage comparison is, but I can tell you this. If you are a police officer today, you're more likely to kill yourself than to be killed by a bad guy. Really? That is... Statistically, yep. Oh, that is terrible to hear. Wow. I mean, it's and, terrible and, to hear that anybody's getting killed on either side, but the fact that right. people are prepared to take their lives more so than they are going to be ha going to have their lives taken, that's incredible. That's an incredible statistic and, and horrifying, quite frankly. So. And, and the sad thing is, not only are you more likely, but you're twice as likely. Oh, wow. That's how bad it is. 230-something yeah. deaths this year and 100-something in the line of duty. So, yeah, it's a wow. sad number. Oh, yeah, terrifying. So um, if somebody wants to find out more about the Unbroken Project or the your Unbroken Syndicate um, uh, podcast, how can they go about finding out more about that or volunteering to help? Yeah, so I, my uh, website for the Unbroken Project is um, unbrokenproject.org. Um, no fancy spelling or anything, just how it sounds, unbrokenproject.org. Um, Unbroken Syndicate podcast is available on iTunes, on Stitcher, on um, Google Play, on all the major you know, podcast um, providers. And then uh, you can also get me on my website, jory.us. Um, that's, uh, that's my for-profit consulting firm, but it all goes to the same mailbox. So I'm happy to talk to you from either of those places. Gotcha. So wrapping up with uh, the kind of the questions and thoughts that I had to, to cover on the show, what, what haven't we covered that you would like to make sure that we talk about? Yeah. One thing I was, one thing I was wanting to hit before we take off is, you know, you, you talked about how when military or police officers or whoever, really, whenever there's a crisis, we need to take care of ourselves first. And, and I use that too. And one other thing that I like to tell people is because I usually talk with, cops and, and military, you know, I do help people of all walks of life, but because of that group, I can say, you know, what, um, what's your strong arm or your strong hand to fire with, you know, I'm right-handed. Okay. Mm -hmm. What do you do if your right arm is incapacitated, you get shot in the right arm, what do you do? Well, of course I transition to my left. Well, what happens if you need to change out a magazine, you have to wreck the slide. Right. You know, oh, well, you, you know and they, they go through and they tell you, right. And I say, how do you know to do that? Training. Like, trained. Yep. You trained and you prepared, right? Right. So someone gave you a tool to put in your toolbox in case there was an emergency. Yes. That's exactly what we do with mental health. It's it's the same thing. It's not that you are, you know, crazy or, or you know, sick or, or that you can't get better. It's that we need to put a new tool in your toolbox to deal with the stresses of the job and, and, with on the mental health side. And so it doesn't make you less of a person. It makes you a more prepared person. Quite frankly, it makes you a nicer person to be around because I always joke that 
back in my PTSD days when I wasn't helped or, or counseled or anything like that, I was a certified asshole. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it just, it just is, we become angry people. So anyway, yeah. that's, that's what I wanted to say. It's another tool in your toolbox. Totally, man. It's, uh, you know, it's doing it, doing some type of mental health, whether it's mindfulness, meditation, whether it's, you know, taking care of yourself physically and, in, in, uh, eating better, getting some exercise, uh, you know, that's the, the old adage, the, the ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. If we're absolutely going to take care of ourselves, we need to do it earlier rather than later. Cause it's, it's much like going to the gym. And if you wait until you're in terrible shape to go to the gym, it's a lot harder to stay motivated. It's a lot harder to get back into shape than it is to stay in shape. Well, the same with our minds. Right. It's a lot harder to get our minds right than it is to keep our minds right. Um, and, right. and, and much like you say, it's, it's not just about healing. It's also about making us better out there on the streets, making us better out there on the battlefields, making us better, just people to be around. So it, it, it's not just about healing. It's about improving who we are, how we interact with others, how we, uh, heck, how we treat ourselves. So if we are able right. to actually practice some form of mental health, uh, then we are going to be better, like you said, better to be around as well. So I love that. Well, Jory, thanks for so much for coming on the show, man. Uh, I've had, uh, in, in the recent episodes, I've had quite a few women on the show lately, and I feel it's very important to have both men and women come on the show to, to share their stories. Um, so thanks very much for coming on for being so open, uh, for being vulnerable and sharing your story. I know that, that some of that's tough to share, um, but I definitely appreciate it. I know that it's going to help to break down those mental health walls that we've discussed. Uh, so thank you very much for, for being on the show, brother. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate coming on and happy to be part of the audience and just honored to be here. So thank you. Yeah. And uh, for our listeners, thank you for listening to our show. Please check out Veterans Path online at veteranspath.org. And we are on social media. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, and Twitter. And we're also on YouTube. And remember, listeners can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. Thank you all and have a blessed day. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Veterans Path Podcast. Please follow us on social media and think about sharing your story with us there and potentially on the show. Together, we can make mental health a priority, improving and saving lives.